Please remain standing as we read God's Word. Turn in Ecclesiastes to chapter 11. We've got two more weeks in our study in Ecclesiastes. It's been such a joy for us to walk through this book together. Uh, This morning we will read Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord. What a privilege it is to um, bring God's word this morning on such a day as today, such as Ryan mentioned, a an Ecclesiastes day as today. Well, in the sermon series, we've been uh, gathering important principles for life, life under the sun, life under the clouds even. And at least three of those themes will be repeated this morning. First, and uh, hopefully you remember some of these themes as I'm going through them, and as we, uh, as we go through them. First, that fearing God properly will give you wisdom. Fearing God properly will give you wisdom. Two, we should enjoy the good gifts of life as much as we can. I have loved that reminder through this series. Enjoy life as you have it. And third, that we are encouraged to actually live our lives. Now that might sound redundant, right? To say live your life, but how often do you catch yourself like I catch myself not truly living to my fullest that's why I appreciate the, this quote from one of my favorite movies called Braveheart. William Wallace at the end of the movie, I hope this isn't a spoiler for anyone, it's been out for a few years, but at the end of the movie, um, William Wallace, the main character, is being executed. And uh, he says this, this unbelievable line, he says, every man dies, but not every man really lives. Every man dies, but not every man really lives. I feel like that could actually be in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's as if Quahelet is encouraging us in this book to not waste the precious gift of life. But sadly, and it really is sad, Ecclesiastes gets a bad rap. Ecclesiastes has a bad reputation associated with it. Maybe when you heard that we were preaching this series through this book, you're like, Ecclesiastes, I don't know. Like, isn't that book a little depressing? In fact, if you, if you were to type, why is Ecclesiastes into your Google search bar, at least when I type it into mine, one of the first things that comes up is so depressing. Why is Ecclesiastes so depressing? Apparently, a lot of people are searching that uh, out there. Um, and if you click on that, there are tons of associated articles on the web um, about why it is so depressing. But As we have been going through this book, I actually think the opposite has been true for us. Each sermon is pushing us to live life more meaningfully, 
more vibrantly, more wisely. There is no doubt that we are directed in this book to the benefits and the limitations of wisdom. We see that wisdom is important, church, because it guides us in living with correct perspective on life. That's what wisdom does. It guides us with correct perspective in our world. The book gives great categories of life's perspective as well. One of my favorite sermons in the series so far has been when Ryan reminded us to go to a funeral to learn how to live. That's perspective. Go to a funeral to learn how to live. Life is havel. It's short. It's a, a mere breath. Funerals remind us that there is an exclamation point waiting for us at the end of our life story. Keeping with that idea of wisdom literature and categories of perspective, maybe we could add a few things like go to a wedding to learn how to give yourself away. Or we could add have children to learn how to care for another. Maybe we could add another thing like become a member of your local church to learn what heavenly worship will be like for us one day. Maybe we could add go camping in a tent so you can learn how to appreciate your bed at home and a good night's sleep. See, all of these things are just perspective on life. Live your life meaningfully and wisely. That is what wisdom can do. It teaches us how to view life now, how to view it today and Lord willing, how to live life as we go into our unknown future. But the reality of this broken world, church, we know our lives rarely go as we desire them to go, even if we're living wisely. Like when a spouse gets sick or a child passes tragically or when a church leader hurts us deeply. The thing about living wisely, it understands that no matter how well that we live today, we cannot control our future. And this fact, and that fact that we can't control the future, beloved, is what produces God-pleasing faith in our lives. When we live with wisdom and faith hand in hand, that's when we glorify our God. That's what we're learning from Solomon in this book. So our text this morning reminds us over and over and over again that we do not know the future. We do not know how God works. We do not know how things will turn out, but we are encouraged to live to the fullest regardless, to live faithfully, because we have a God who knows all of these things. So our main idea of the passage this morning is this. Live faithfully to your fullest into your unknowable future. Live faithfully to your fullest into your unknowable future. The scriptures tell us to walk by faith because we don't know what is prepared for our future. And our faithfulness is secure in our God who has personally prepared our future for us. This means we are to live as Christ, generously, fully, and faithfully. 
So let's jump into our text this morning. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. We don't know what disaster God has prepared for us, so invest wisely. Let's read this. 11.1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. So we begin with a strange instruction, right? Cast your bread on the water. Soggy bread is gross. <laughs> Give a portion to seven or to eight. Frankly, it's a saying that's honestly, it's not totally understood among Old Testament scholars. They cannot fully agree on what, uh, what's being said here because there's nothing in, to compare it to in other literature. So it's, it's a little cryptic, but there are two main views this morning on what Solomon could be saying. And each of them should be understood in the light of not knowing what disaster might happen on earth. There should be a sense of urgency that comes out of our interpretation to be prepared for a potential future calamity. So the first view goes something like this. Give alms, be generous, and be charitable. It would be something like, uh, cast your goods upon the water, for you don't know where the water will take them to. Now, if we cast our bread, eventually that bread will dissolve, and we don't know what our generosity will be used for. Maybe that's for the best that we don't know where our, our charity goes. But don't only give once, be liberal with your giving. Be overly generous with your giving. The number seven in scripture means completeness, fullness. It says give completely, and then even to eight, give to the nth degree, Solomon's telling us here. Don't let this be a one-time thing. Let it be a common practice in your life. If a disaster one day falls upon you, this community that you are charitable with will then be charitable with you and you will, quote, find it also after many days. Now, this could be the view. It's the older of the two main views. It goes back to the early stages of church history, back to Jerome and the patristic period, but there is a more widely held view that uh, believes that it's actually speaking of industry. It's a little, it's, 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 it's interesting how different these two main views actually are, but again, if they're led, read in light of being prepared for a future disaster, they both get you to the same place. So, could this be speaking of maritime trade? Let's jump into it. This view goes something like this. Cast your goods upon the water in ships, but don't put all your goods in one ship, for that ship might meet with disaster one day, and then you'll be totally ruined by a catastrophe. That's another way of saying it's foolish to put all your eggs in one basket. So, portion them out among seven or even eight, and then one day you will see a return on your investment if you invest wisely. Now this view holds that we are to work and we are to go about working wisely. It refers to diversifying trade, dividing cargo among boats. Now we are to take this order to cast and to give with the loose hand, right? Because we're not all called to be international bread trading entrepreneurs right? I, I understand that. But we should understand that we are to think well about what we have and how we live with our goods. Our advice here is from a king, a king who is regularly thinking with the perspective of international trade. But each of us has our own perspective to be faithful with what we have. How are we to plan ahead 
and be wise and employ the good gifts that God has entrusted with us. Our weekly perspective is different. It might go something like this. We hope that our gifts, uh, we hope that we use and invest our time and our gifts well, but many of us don't. Many of us don't. We don't do, we don't do this casting and giving as we should. When we should be diversifying our, divestment, our investments, our goods, planning for disaster ahead, we're simply going through life distracted. We hope to have a, a long and healthy life. We hope that our fa- families will have long and happy, healthy lives. We hope that we'll have our jobs as long as we need that income. So we just maintain the norm. Don't rock the boat. Let's just coast to the finish line. And then disaster falls upon us unexpectedly. And we're caught on our heels, unable to respond quickly. Here's the wisdom of Solomon. Don't wait for disaster to fall upon you. Prepare yourself now, because we cannot control the future. Specifically, we are to be considering our finances here. If this is about business, and most scholars agree that it is, about maritime trade, then how do we think about our work, our income, our homes, our hospitality, our giving, or more giving? We need to stop and ask, are we being wise as Solomon is instructing us to be? Are we generous with our goods? And can we be even more generous if we were only a little more wiser? So often we think of our goods as a safeguard to our own peril. We need to be honest. We need to be honest about how we think about our stuff. Are they, is it primarily for our comfort and good? Or is there another intended purpose from our Lord? Do we seek to earn more to have a more contented life? Or do we build up a safety net so that we can sleep well? Or are we seeking to be more generous and more charitable with what God has given to us? Too many of us are going through life worshiping the gifts rather than the giver. We hold up treasure on this earth and we squeeze it tightly until they lower us six feet into the ground. Jesus strongly warns us against this. In Luke chapter 12, you can turn there, verses 16 through 21. It's worth our attention to look. Again, Luke chapter 12. We read, starting in verse 16, In Christ Jesus, he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, full This night your soul is required of you. 
And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, this parable is self-evident. Where is your treasure? In storehouses being wasted, or is it being spent for the kingdom of God? For we do not know. We hear this over and over again in these verses. We do not know what the future holds for us. Like the person in the parable, your soul may be required of you. We don't know what disaster is around the corner. It may be required of you this very night even. We don't want to be standing before God and hear the word full. I want to push down on this idea of living wisely when we don't know and can't control the future. But before I do, let's continue in the passage. So let's turn our attention to verses 3 through 5 in Ecclesiastes 11. We do not know what miracle God has prepared for us, so let's get to work. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So we're seemingly hit with something obvious at first here, right? When the clouds are full, it rains. Okay, Solomon. When a tree falls, it lies there. We're wise. But there is something really wise knit into what he's actually getting at. Solomon is invoking this sense of randomness of things, the in inevitability of bad things happening and their randomness. That's the way the world works. We need to be aware of this as we go through life. In other words, we don't control how things operate. They end up where they are. Simply put, we don't control nature. We don't control the future. We plan a worship service outside. We rent a space. We inform people as much as we possibly can about the location and plan for a different setup for the speakers and and in the communion table. But if the clouds are full, they will empty themselves. And when it rains, it rains, and we worship God in a wet world. And here is another image of a person who should be working wisely. But instead, he is still observing the elements. He's unable to control the future and control its conditions. He just stands there and waits for when he should. Is this the perfect time to go and sow the seeds? In other words, don't wait for the rain to clear up. Start preaching. I totally understand this. The man is, uh, in this story here is, is by far too often myself overthinking without thinking enough. I should just plant that grass seed in my front yard. But my inability to control everything is almost paralyzing. Do you ever feel that sense of paralysis about not being able to control things so you just don't go and do it? 
This is what foolishness is in the book of Ecclesiastes. Then we're reminded in the next text, hey, if there's one thing you shouldn't forget, it's this, you don't know. And for our good, we don't know the way that God works in this world. He gives us so much information about himself, so much about his ordering of all things in his creation, but still, there's so much mystery to the working of God. God miraculously knits human bodies and souls together in the womb of a pregnant mother. And there's just no way to understand how he does it. Our best science merely touches the surface of how conscious life comes together. We are limited in our knowledge. Get this, we're limited in our knowledge for a good reason. Yet, we want to control all things because we're not satisfied with the blessing of human limitation. We're not satisfied with the blessing of human limitation. God has given us limits for our good. This week I was sitting in um, Barnes & Noble in their, their cafe, working, reading, meditating on this, this, this strange text uh, and trying to get to the bottom of it. And um, I just started looking around, like the man who's like looking up at the clouds and he should be sowing his seed. And I noticed a, a table behind me with a big purple sign on it. And I read it and it says, Divine Guidance. Right? It's a, book, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sign describing the books on the table. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this might be a sign. <laughs> what does it mean to cast your bread? Maybe this will help me, right? So I'm reading Divine Guidance. And the subtitle said, the world of self-transformation. And I'm like, did anyone proofread this? <laughs> Divine guidance, self-transformation. Like, this doesn't seem to go that well together, but okay. And I, so I walked over to the table because I just was too curious at that point. And there was a, a little over 10 books on the table. And um, they, they, this, this is basically what I got from these books, okay? <laughs> When I read all the covers and the subtitles and all this stuff and some of the backs, this is what I got. So if you use your inner wisdom and the alignment of the moon on your birthday is correct, you will be able to manifest purpose and meaning in your life. I'm not making this up. I know you think that was a joke. That is literally what these books said. And one of the books actually caught my attention. It said, I affirm my power. Everyday affirmations and rituals to create the life you desire. That is antithetical to what Solomon is telling us right now. My power to create the life that I want? How opposite of the Bible is that? It was like I heard the words of our of our enemy echoing through my mind. That ancient serpent in the Garden of Eden saying, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, creating and knowing good from evil. You have the power. You can create. Yet we know that Adam and Eve did eat that fruit in the garden but they did not know what disaster would come next. They were foolish and could not control their future. 
I want to push down on this idea again of what it means to live life in a world where we don't know or control our future. But let's read this last verse before we get to that. Verse 6 speaks of we don't know what God has prepared, so leave success and failure up to him. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And for a third time, we're told to get to work. Go about living your life. Work from morning to evening. And while you're doing that, remember this essential truth, church. You do not know. And here is the last of our you do not knows in our text. We're told that we don't know uh, if God will allow our work to be successful or to be a failure. God's in control of that. Another translation puts it this way, for you do not know which activity will succeed, whether this one or that, or whether both will prosper equally. So with that 100% guarantee that when you set out to work, that you will be successful, still go and work. Will our business fail? Will our church plant succeed? Will we pass that final exam? Will our bread shipping business sink? Only God knows these things. But in the morning to evening, sow your seed. Continue in your work. And of course, we live in a culture that is obsessed with success. To our fault, we make success and we make failure our identity. Our identity that we carry around like little idols or failures that we carry around with sackcloth and ashes. And of course, we don't aim for failure. Of course, we don't do that. No one should do that. But success shouldn't be the main goal in your life either. The ultimate goal of our life is not to be successful. Nor is, is it to avoid failing. The ultimate goal of our life is to worship. It's to worship the living triune God. Successful education, careers, marriages, hobbies, friendship will not lead you to where you need to be in your life. What we need most is not what we deem to be success in this world. What we need most is humble worship before God. So work hard and leave the results to his sovereign hand. So Quohelet here, the preacher, he pulls the rug from under our feet again. How does he do that? Well, we're told in the last chapter that money answers everything. Verse 19, money answers everything. Okay, but here we're told that if you work and you labor, you're not guaranteed money. Chapter 7, verse 12, we're told that the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. But we're also told that Wisdom is limited, so the protection of money can only go so far. Because at the end of the day, we simply do not know what tomorrow will bring. In our anxiety about the future, we must take our burdens to the only one who knows the beginning as well as, as he knows the end. And we need to let go, church, pay attention, we need to let go of the lie that knowing the future will be the answer to our deep needs. Let it go. Letting, knowing the future won't change it. 
Well, maybe you're thinking, well, maybe it will change it a little bit, right? Like if I knew, what, what, if God said, hey, do this and it will be successful, then like my life would be really easy. Hmm. I wonder, I wonder how many examples in the Bible there are of that say the opposite. And that's, that's the question I want to bring to you as, as the, our last consideration this morning. Are we left in the dark about our future because if we knew the future, we would live perfectly? This week I read an article by Jen Wilkin that I think crosses over well into our text this morning, and this is where we'll close. She gives a, a lot of biblical examples of people who were told their immediate future, they were told their immediate future, and they fail to be faithful. Let's first think of Moses at the burning bush, okay? Moses at the burning bush, Exodus chapters 3 to 4. You don't have to go there. You know the story. I'll, I'll, I'll go through it quickly. God, the God of the universe reveals himself to Moses at this burning bush that's not consumed. We see multiple miracles happening here. He speaks to Moses and says, I will free my people, the Israelites, from the slavery of the Egyptians, and I'm going to use you to do it. Here's your job. Here's what's going to happen. I am God. It will happen. Yet Moses immediately falters. He speedily thinks of excuses for why he, couldn't, he shouldn't do it, right? What does he do? He says, the Israelites won't believe me. Then tell them my name. Tell them who sent you. But Pharaoh won't listen to me then I will give you miracles to show that, that the, 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 the true living God is with, with his people. But I'm not good at public speaking. I will give you the words to speak. Um, is there anyone else you can send? <laughs> like, he just keeps going, right? I will send you with your brother Aaron. This God gets angry at the end. I wonder if this is how I would respond if God told me the work he wanted to accomplish in my life. Would we also make excuses? Would I just make excuse after knowing what God will do? Well, would I, or would I walk in that faith to the end of the work? Man, we humans are so frail when we're put up against the glory of God. Second, and our, our final point, let's consider the Apostle Peter. Turn to Matthew 26, 31. And I hope this can encourage you about the goodness of our God in our limitation. Matthew 26, we'll start in 31. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he's to be handed over. They have this final moment of worship after the final supper, and we read in verse 31, then Jesus said to them, speaking to his to the, 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 the 11 that are left, speaking to his apostles, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, these guys are going to fall away. I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. 
Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Then we go down in the same chapter to verse 69. Jesus is taken by the Roman guards. His apostles do scatter. Jesus is taken to the courts before Caiaphas to be on trial. And here we see Peter in the courtyard outside the courtroom. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it. One, before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And then he went out from the entrance. He's getting further away from Christ physically now. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to him, to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it too, with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to evoke a curse on himself to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You see, church, even when the you do not knows are filled in in our life, we are still called to live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for us. And this is our encouragement this morning. A principle to understand more throughout the days that we are given under the sun, days that are not promised to us, that we are to live by faith, not by sight. So church, walk by faith with wisdom hand in hand. I encourage you all, live faithfully to your fullest into your unknowable future. Enjoy these days when you prosper. Consider God when disaster comes and work hard in all you do for you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, good God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, Lord. I pray that we are a hungry people for your wisdom, a brave people for your glory, and a people who see the urgency of today and tomorrow to live the final years, decades, days or hours of this life well. We're distracted, Lord. You know this about us more than we do. Yet, we need this truth to penetrate deep into our minds. Help us to be encouraged to live faithfully and fully for your glory into our unknown future. In Christ's name we all pray. Amen.